0: Welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi G Jacobson with Adam Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at gmail.com, and, of course, I will answer as many as I can. So, you know, it's really fascinating. Um, some of the work I do, where we're looking to uh, build a second building, and we I met with architects. Now, we've built other buildings before. We've added on to the building. But that architect... He just, he did the whole thing. Like, I don't even think we knew what was going on. These guys, they're going to, they're going to like move in on us. And they're going to, they're going to see what we like and what's important to a school and what's important to our school and how we do this and how people come here and go there. And uh, it was just like a whole totally different eye-opening meeting. It was a great meeting. Uh, We we accomplished that we know each other's names and uh, we have a lot of work to do before they write up the plans. But what was interesting is um, they talked about certain ideas that would never even occur to us. In other words, you know, we're, we have a boys' school, we have a girls' school, we got to split the boys and girls. It, when, when everybody is separated, they can study better. But even in the offices, right, sometimes there's offices where there's issues because there's men and women that are hanging out together. It makes problems sometimes. So, again, for the most part, you know, you need a folk copy, you need this. But they actually, it seems, on the East Coast, for some of these schools, they have it set up in such a way that you're totally separate. Even in the same building, um, you don't have to worry about the men and women being together sometimes. And that, by the way, leads right into this week's Torah portion. This week's Torah portion is called Kedoshim. It's the concept of being holy. Now the story that I just started telling you, you have to decide: is that what the Torah means by being holy? It's really quite fascinating. What exactly does holy mean in this week's Torah portion? So the there was a great rabbi, by the name of Yisrael Salanter. Yisrael Salanter created something called the Mussar movement. The Mussar movement was an idea that it's not just good enough to sit and study. You have to work on your good attributes. You have to make yourself into a better person. It's not automatic. It's something you have to work on. Now, a person could think that when we say holy, holy is spiritual stuff. All the spiritual stuff, that's where I'm holy. I'm studying Torah and I'm keeping the Sabbath or the holidays or fasting on Yom Kippur. That's holy. But when I go to the office and I got to get work done and I'm dealing with my employees or I'm an employee dealing with my boss or I'm a salesman, there's no holy stuff there. I do whatever it takes to make a buck. That, w- it would seem, that's how a, 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 I don't want to say the word normal, that's how a regular person n- imagines holiness. If Israel Solantis said no, The Torah establishes the conditions necessary for holiness. And there's stuff like, don't steal, don't uh, deny, don't lie, don't cheat, right? In other words, because we see, because over over and over, because for I am holy, right? I'm Hashem, your God, right? God says, I'm holy. I demand holiness from you. But that holiness is actually in how you relate to your fellow manners. I can be a holy person just, well, not only, because a lot of stuff to do, but part of being a holy person is in our daily relationships. All these commands in this week's Torah portion, how we act with each other, that is what's going to make holiness. In other words, holiness is in the material part of my life as well. Cause really what God wants is take the physical, take the material, just do it properly, because God said so, and all of a sudden it's holy. There was a Rabbi Jacobowitz in town. Um, he's now in Israel, has been in town for years, but he always said the same thing Friday night. At the end of his um, you know, two-minute little little talk, he always said the same thing. He said, Go home. And enjoy your gefilte fish. Go enjoy. It's the Sabbath. Why shouldn't you enjoy good food? But know that you're enjoying it because it's the Sabbath. In other words, I can take my mundane and I can make it special. Right? In other words, I can sit down and, uh, and eat a sandwich because I'm famished and I love the taste. But I could also have in mind, hey, when I eat, I'm nourishing my body. When I nourish my body, I can do good things. I could be kind. I could give charity. I could study Torah. I could be a good father. I could be a good mother. I could take care of my kids. In other words, what is my attitude? What am I thinking? I'm eating just because, I mean, I I could be an animal, right? Dogs also eat, right? Cows also eat. So am I eating because I'm a cow? Am I eating because dogs eat, lions eat? Or am I eating because when I'm nourished, I can do good stuff. I could serve God, right? But again, all all these things we're mentioning over here, don't steal, right? Or, you know, don't uh, hold back wages. uh, um, Don't slander, right? All these things, right, that seem to be material, I could go ahead and turn them into something exquisite, something special. And that is... Is how Yisrael Salanta explains what I'm trying to accomplish um, to be a holy person. And right? again, I'm not saying there aren't holy people that uh, that uh, you know they I don't know they wear sackcloth and they they maybe they don't talk to people and they're hermits or they're monks and they and they make themselves suffer and and they imagine that's see, that's the problem, right? If the average person thinks the only way I can be holy is if, I, is if I make sure that I get no physical pleasure, okay, then for most normal people, or any normal person for that matter, it's not happening. Right? God says in this week's Torah portion, become holy. But so many people have decided the only way you can become holy is to abstain from all pleasure. That's ridiculous. That's not, this whole Torah portion does not talk about abstaining from anything. On the contrary, at the end of this week's Torah portion, and then the last one also, um, it's very busy talking about which relationships are permitted, who you're allowed to marry, who you're not allowed to marry. So the holiness is you can be married, enjoy married life, enjoy your wife, enjoy your husband, nothing wrong. But there are certain people you're not allowed to marry. Okay, there's a whole list Different different... Uh, Uh, A married lady you can't marry, right? It's a a list of who you're permitted to be with and who you're not permitted to be with. But as long as you're with the person you're permitted to be with, you're a holy person, right? The Torah never says you have to abstain from all pleasures to be holy. It's not true. That's not when the Torah says be holy. It does not mean to be a hermit or a monk or any of those things. Not true. The Torah says you can enjoy life God said, I made a beautiful world for you. There's beautiful, delicious fruits. There's yummy food you could eat. There's relationships you can have with people. You can enjoy a physical life also. Being holy just means do it the way God told you to do it. Oh, I have this beautiful apple. It is so delicious. I will make a blessing first. I will show thank you, God, that you gave me this beautiful fruit. And then I will enjoy that apple or that piece of steak, um, or that avocado salad, or whatever you happen to like to eat, right? For my kids, it's potato chips, or chocolate, or, okay, I like chocolate, or my cup of coffee, right? right? Being holy, again, being holy does not mean that I can't enjoy the world we live in. God made a beautiful world. God made beautiful people. God wants me to enjoy this world. Just do it the way God said. That's called being holy. So, again, there's, there's so much in this week's Torah portion. We talked about some of the things in, in, in the last show. So uh, I was sort of bouncing around because there's like individual commands that are just amazing, just beautiful, really worth the time to talk about. So, one of them is the verses, Mipnei An old person walks in, you, you show respect, you stand up. We, we've, we've spoken multiple times. We've said the, these famous stories. The great Rabbi Kamenevsky was on a plane one time and he had a grandchild running back and forth taking care of him. And there was an older gentleman sitting next to Rabbi Kamenetsky And the older gentleman says to Rabbi Kamenetsky, I don't, you know, it's beautiful. Your grandchild seems to enjoy taking care of you. I wish my grandchildren would even talk to me, forget about taking care of me. What do you do? What, what, what's, the, what's the trick? What, what, what happens that they so much want to take care of you? So, Kavanetsky says that, that, okay, his answer will help us, but we're going to take it a little deeper. He says, we teach our children that the most important period in the Jewish people's nation was when God came down and revealed himself and gave the Jewish people the Torah. The further generations we get away from Mount Sinai, right, the further away we are from people that were there. The older you are, the you know people that know people that know people that were there. So therefore, there's what to respect in the older person, because you older person have a connection that I can't have. So I'm connected with you, just, you know, I'm part of the chain. So they respect me. You teach your grandchildren people came from monkeys, okay? They don't want to be a chain-connected to a monkey. They want to be further removed from the monkey. They want nothing to do with you. But, but on a simpler vein, right, the Torah says you must honor an older person. The person is old. He's not done. He's not gone. He lived a whole life. There's a lot to respect. There's a lot of knowledge. There's a lot of life that person lived, and by the way— You're only here because of that person, right? So how ungrateful can you be that I'm only in this world because of the person, father, grandfather, great-grandfather? Yeah, of course, they're older. We don't move as fast. We don't get around. Sometimes we don't hear so well. Um, Sometimes we don't see so well. Uh, Sometimes as people get older, they need to be taken care of. It's true. But I'm here because of this person, to show respect, right, to show... That this person took care of me. I'm in this world because of this person. It shows shows that I recognize when someone did something for me. You brought me into this world. You took care of me. You raised me. You you went to work so you could support me when I was little, when I had to do homework. You did my homework with me. You made sure I had clothes. You made sure I had food. You made sure there was a roof over my head. So Now that I'm old enough to be on my own, I don't have to respect you anymore. All of a sudden, I don't need you. So as soon as I don't need you, I can say bye-bye. It's been fun. Better luck next time. All right, old man, the world has passed you by. That's terrible. What kind of person could you be that you don't show that kind of respect? Now, interesting, at the end of that verse, it says you'll fear God, right? In other words, it's easy to pretend you didn't see the old person walking by, so you didn't stand up. Very easy to pretend. But God knows. So there's a lot of verses in this Torah where things happen and you could pretend that you didn't know. Go right ahead and pretend. No one's stopping you. You could pretend, but God knows. God knows. And um, interesting thought, by the way, that part of respecting people that are older, they also sometimes feel like they have nothing going for them. They can't do what they used to do. They can't... uh, Look... I think I'm a great teacher. Do I think I'll be able to be a great teacher forever? That's ridiculous. I mean, I do think that, but that is ridiculous, right? So there'll become a time where they're going to say, it's been fun, but you're retiring now. So, what worth do older people have sometimes? It becomes very, very difficult. That's why Joseph, when he wants to inform his father that he's alive, he sends him um, wagon loads of old wine. Because it says, old people appreciate old wine. Why? Because in this world, people make it look like, you know, only what's fresh, what's new, that's what's good. Old stuff we don't need anymore, right? What do we need an old typewriter for, right? Like, oh, forget old computers, right? Old phone, right? What what do we need those things for? We're new and improved. The exception to that is wine. Wine, as it ages now, the truth is, I guess, whiskey and bourbon would be another good example, um, but the example is always with wine, but really bourbons and whiskeys, yeah, 20 years old, 24 years old, right? know there's value in something that's been aged and that's what the older person needs to feel. He needs to feel respected. He needs to know you're not throwing him to the curb just because he's a little bit older. Okay. Let's, uh, get into another verse. I know I'm jumping around with stuff this week, but, um... That's what we got to do. Um, oh, you know, this is such an interesting story. Maybe we'll say it next week. Anyways, um, weights and measures. Honest weights and measures. Now, most of the time, you know, you go to a gas station, you see those things that are punched out. That means uh, officially somebody's come to make sure that, uh, that you're getting the exact amount of gas out of your pump. Now, by the way, I know in New Jersey, um, it's a big deal. In other words, the companies that come in from the state to measure your tanks to make sure that they pump out, you know, a gallon like it says. If they find that your machines are not working properly, and a lot of times they find it's not working properly, ten thousand dollars right there, on the spot, big fines. Um, if the machines aren't working properly, I what are you supposed to do? Too bad, right? You go into a into the butcher and you want a pound of meat, you want a two pounds of deli. There's scales there. You you expect them to be honest. It's very important that our weights and measures, that everything is honest. What are we supposed to do if things are not uh, measured properly? I'm buying stuff and you're stealing from me. So there was a story. There was a baker who ordered butter every day, and he suspected that the guy giving him the kilo of butter um, was not weighing it properly. So one day he goes ahead and he says, you know what, I got my own scales over here. And he starts weighing, today it's only uh, 950 grams, today it's only 900 grams, It was 870, so he calls the caps. he says, eh, look, you see right here, uh, he's gypping me on my butter. So, uh, okay, went to court, so he went in front of the judge, and the milkman said to the judge, your honor, I'm a very honest person, I, I don't know what, what, what he wants for my life, I make sure I give him a, a kilo of butter. I don't know what he's talking about. So the judge says, yeah, but, but look, he, he says he's been weighing your stuff, and it comes out the wrong amount. Like, Okay, so the judge says, let's, let's take it slow. How do you weigh out the butter every day? It's so very simple. The baker here, he says his loaves of bread all weigh a kilo. So I take one of his loaves of bread and put it on one side of the scale, and then I put on the butter till it's even. And once it's even, I say, okay, gave him a kilo. What's the problem? I don't really understand. His, his bread is a kilo, my butter is a kilo. I don't really understand how I could make a mistake. Um, the baker understood that he was in big trouble, right? Because, hello, you, Mr. Baker, he used your own bread as a weight. And you, Mr. Baker, are the dishonest one. So what happens is the your dishonesty, right, came back as a boomerang, which, by the way, teaches us a very important lesson. We are always quick to comment, to complain, to correct others, to say, oh, you're not good, you do this, you do that, you're dishonest, you're this, when really, right, we should be looking in the mirror, right? Because many of the things that we're busy complaining that you're not honest about are really things that we ourselves are lacking. So a person has to be very, very careful, even though it is true in this week's story portion. It does say that you need to rebuke someone. I tell my boys in class all the time. I said, I'm not telling you that you're doing something wrong because I want to catch you. He goes, not to catch you doing something wrong. I just want you to be better. How exactly are you supposed to become a better person if um, nobody ever tells you what's good, what's not good? You can't figure it out on your own. It really goes to the last show that I wanted to spend some time talking about. I completely forgot. I, mean, I have friends, oh, what Rabbi, I have a very good heart. God knows, God knows that I have a good heart. And I asked them, I said, God might know you have a good heart, but how do you know you have a good heart? I know. I said, but who told you? Like, if right, we talked about with Hillel, if you don't know the story, we're not going through the story again. Listen to the last show. But Hill tells the person who wants to, to convert, right, what's hated to you, don't do to your friend. And we explained that God, wa- you, you want God to be your friend. Go find out what God wants. You can't decide what God wants and therefore do it and therefore God knows that I love him. Maybe that's not what God wants, right? We talk about all kinds of examples, right? I want you to be my friend. So you must come with me to the baseball game. But you hate baseball, right? I want you to be my friend. You must come come with me to the theater. I hate the theater. I would rather sit and play cards on the couch. You want to be my friend, then you have to do what I like, not what you like. You can't do what you like and decide that since you like it, so I have to like it, and therefore you're going to make me your friend because you're going to force me to do what you like? No. You want to be my friend, you have to do what I like. You want to say you have a good heart, then you have to go ahead and find out what God wants. If you find out what God wants, then we can find out if you have a good heart. Which reminds me, by the way, I was ran out of time in the last show. There's a, a very interesting Mishnah. The Mishnah talks about a, a good heart and a good eye. Right? Like what's the best thing to have? One says have a good heart. One says have a good eye. What's the worst thing? A bad heart, a bad eye. So there's a Maral. The maral wants to know what exactly is a good heart and what exactly is a good eye. So he says, very fascinating. He says, a good heart means that I am happy for whatever you have. I'm very happy for you. Anything good that happens to you, I even though I also wanted it, you got the job, I didn't get the job um you got this toy, I didn't get the toy, you were able to buy the car, I wasn't able to buy the car, you got this house, even if it's things that I also want, but I wasn't able to get them, but you got them. I'm very, very happy for you. that's a good heart, a bad heart by the way I means the opposite that i'm I'm upset whenever you get things that I don't have right We don't like to deal with those kinds of people, right We want people that are caring, that appreciate, that are happy for me. Right? So a good heart means I'm happy for you. A bad heart means I'm unhappy for you. What's a good eye? A good eye means that not only am I happy for you, but I try to help you get the things you want. If I have a good eye, I look at you and I say, I want you to be happy. In other words, a good heart means whatever you have, I'm happy for you. You don't have something you want. Okay, I'm still happy for you. A good eye means I'm looking at you and I'm trying to figure out what do you need to make you happy. And then I will put in effort to make sure you're happy. Now, on the other extreme, a a a a bad eye uh, sounds like I almost look for the things that make you happy and make sure you don't get them. Okay, moving along. Just so many things. I know I'm just jumping from topic to topic today, but... That just seems to be just to be the way my brain is working today. But in any case, um, we talked about earlier that the end of the Torah portion, there's a lot of women that a person's not allowed to marry—different relatives, sisters, mothers, sister-in-laws, a whole list. Married lady, daughter-in-laws, a mothers, a stepmothers—a list of ladies that are forbidden for a person to marry. Now. For some of those women, or many of them, the Torah punishment is called kares. So it was interesting, only because it came up in class this week, and I was trying to find a good way to explain it. I said, what is kares? Karis literally means to be cut off. So it means that God, it says God cuts off the person's soul. So when the person goes to heaven, his soul is not benefiting with the rest of the Jewish people to benefit from God's presence. That's the gist of the translation of Curse. The question is, what does that mean? What, what is this Karis thing? Like, what, what is it? So I said to a boy in class, I said, great, I think it's just a great answer. I said, let me ask you. I said, when you ask me a question in class, and this happens to a weaker student, that's why he wasn't sure what the answer was, But when I ask you a question in class, and I'm sorry, when you ask me a question in class and I say great question, how do you feel? I feel great. How about if I ask a question and I ask you to give me an answer? You had to think of an answer and you thought of an answer. I feel great. Good. Or I ask you to say over, let's say we're studying uh, some verses and I ask you to read them back to me. And you read them fantastic. And you know you've read them fantastic. Even if I don't compliment you, you know you, you, that, I, that you read them fantastic. How do you feel? Great. I said, that is your soul. When you, right, feeling good, right, especially for spiritual things, right, feeling good on spiritual things, that is the soul, and that's what we lose with that punishment called karis. Of course, I've run out of time. The music is playing. hope you enjoyed the short and sweet. Thank you for all so our Wonderful sponsors and listeners. I can't do it without you. Thank you to the production team. We have David and Cisco in the back. I have left you with some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Toro on NRM Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it.